This episode of The Sporting Spirit is brought to you by our listeners who support us on patreon.com slash the sporting spirit podcast. As we're an independent podcast without any major sponsors, we are reliant on any help that you are capable of giving. Whether it's by just contributing five euros a month or even if it's by sharing the link of this podcast to colleagues, friends or family. As always, peace and love. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Sporting Spirit. And it's an extra special one because it's the last one of 2020. So for, for all you listeners out there who are not doing anything tonight, Happy New Year's Eve. And thank you so much for your support over the last couple of months or so. Obviously, we've, myself and Carl, we've, we've been celebrating Christmas like everyone else. And um, it's been obviously a, a quieter one than usual. But, you know, I, I've, I've been content with being able to be back home and spending some time with my, with my family. Carl, how's it going? And, and how was your Christmas? Yeah, it's pretty good. And my Christmas, it was quite relaxing. And, and to be honest, it wasn't that different from other years because usually we are not that big of a gathering. It's usually just me and my family as well, the other years. So this year wasn't that different. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I think, I think, I think everyone's just so glad that the year is done now and we're looking forward to 2021 and yeah, moving on from all this, all this bullshit, which I mean, I think uh, that's just to put it in, uh, in, in mild terms. Yeah, but but in any case, as we always do, we we start. We're gonna start off with with uh, with some news for you. <laughs> um, and seeing seeing that it is the last episode of 2020, Carl has something which we've talked about quite a lot over the last couple of months, and I would say since we started this podcast. Yeah. Carl. Yeah, as you said, it's a topic we have mentioned before, and some listeners out there might be tired of hearing about it, but there are like recent developments that we're trying to add on and give updates about, and it's the situation in Belarus uh, with their political protests that's going on at the moment and how that's linked into the sports world. And as we talked about before, that Belarus is going to host uh, the World Championship in ice hockey in spring next year, and it's been a lot of protest and voices to move that championship away from Belarus. Now the recent developments has been that actually uh, a, pro- a, uh, a protester named uh, Rom- Raman Badarenka was actually beaten to death, uh, I think it was in November, uh, by a masked gang. And then sources came out that one of the people that participated in this uh, was actually the president of the Ice Hockey Federation in Belarus. And for me, that just adds on to the controversy on, on and the reason of why moving the championship because you can't have the president of the actual sport beating up people on the streets. No, you can't because they have a championship. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, it's it sounds more like um, the mafia than than um, yeah or sports organization. Yeah. You know, um, exactly. it, it certainly sounds insane. Yeah, so we'll see. And the the international ice hockey federation is getting more and more pressure now from uh, different countries from different so we will see if my if i have to do an uh, a guess i feel like they if it continues like this they need to have they have to move the championship it's it will not be sustainable uh, to have it and now recent development they might just move it to russia which seems to be a very common thing to do like if there's ever a problem just move things to russia <laughs> <laughs> it does it does indeed yeah but there's also another development in Belarus that we'll talk about as well. More of a like a not sport specific. It's more like sport in a general basis because there have been athletes in Belarus that have been vocal and been speaking out against the president, and they are speaking for change and are supporting the protesters. But also some of these athletes, they they are like world class athletes. They are like on an Olympic level, competing on, on the highest level in the world. But now they have been sacked from the national teams. They can't compete for Belarus anymore. They've been basically banned by their own country. And IOC now stepped in to see if this, they were uh, fired because of political reasons, which is against the IOC's rules. And now based on this investigation, the NOC in Belarus have actually been banned uh, to go to Tokyo. And just uh, some fun facts about the Belarusian NOC is the president of the NOC in Belarus is actually Alexander Lukashenko, there the actual go. president of Belarus. Sounds sounds like a perfect match, right? Sports and politics. 
But I think I think what what's interesting for me is I think because Belarus obviously is is um it's not the most well known country in the world. It's not the biggest force, let's say, you know, in in in, in the world. I think for the IOC to clamp down on the Belarus is a lot easier than if they were to do something similar, which they have done in the past. Um, to not not directly, but you know, through obviously the anti-doping um, organization WADA on 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 mm. on countries like or athletes from countries like Russia and China, but to ban the entire country is one you know a whole different matter, right? And I think it's a lot yeah. easier to take action on a small country like Belarus. Than on, yeah. a, I mean, on a mega power like China or, or Russia. And I think that also shows, certainly I feel like a little bit of a bias, not just a bit, you know, obviously yeah. we know that it's, uh, it's, it's clearly the workings of, the inner workings of yeah. politics there and diplomacy. Um, but just to be yeah. clear as well, like the athletes can still go to Tokyo and compete for Belarus and under the Belarusian flag if they want to. But many of these athletes now have said that they want to compete as an independent athlete. They want to, compete under the Olympic flag instead. They don't yeah. want to represent Belarus if nothing uh, changes in the yeah. country. Yeah, well, we, we look forward to seeing what happens there. But I think, I think it's, uh, first of all, we have to, we're not, we're not very kind to the IOC or big federations, big, big sports federations in general on this podcast. But, you know, we got to give credit where yeah. credit's due to the IOC for taking this. Of course, but I feel like it's a little bit late. I don't know, like, that the president of the actual country is the president of the NOC as well. Shouldn't that like just ring like a warning? Surely there should be rules for that, right? I mean, like, (laughs) yeah, because they're talking so much about, we should never mix politics and sports together, but then you have the president of the country being the president of the NOC as well. And they didn't do anything until uh, this happened because he has been the president of the NOC for a pretty long time. Sure. Yeah, no, as, as you rightly said, I think it's been obviously, well-known the IOC stands on the mixing of politics and sport, right? Um, the president, several presidents have come out with loads of statements, you know, um, saying this. But politics and sport are almost one of the same thing within the IOC. Um, so inevitably, yeah. what, what we can see is, you know, hypocrisy. Exactly. But I also want to add as well, like, I have a lot of admiration for these athletes that are actually like going out and speaking out against your own president. It's because uh, they are risking so much. Uh, like some of these athletes have been arrested. Uh, some of them now live in exile in other countries just because they are these public figures. So they know they have a target on their back if they speak out. Uh, so yeah, it's just a lot of admiration because they have a lot to lose. They could have like just st- stayed silent and just carry on their careers but yeah and that's what we like in our podcast is people like this that are not disconnected from their own society and from their own community and actually taking a stance absolutely absolutely right obviously we show solidarity with them we hope the the wider sports world shows solidarity with these really really brave athletes and i guess then without without much further ado We'd like to introduce today's topic. And obviously, last week we covered the, the academic and professional field of sport for development. This week, we've got something of a case study all the way from Palestine. We were absolutely delighted that um, the person that we have on our show today, which is Tamara Awartani, um, could take out some of her time to come on our, our show. And she's got a really busy schedule. She's currently based in Palestine and yeah, I don't want to give away too many details. So let's get to it. And on this week's episode, we have Tamara Awatani. Just for a bit of background, Tamara is a consultant and expert in sports for development and sports management. She is the founder and director of a Palestinian NGO called Palestine Sports for Life, based in the city of Ramallah, which is located in the Central West Bank. Um, other than that, Tamara also somehow finds time to, um, to be a PhD student at the German Sports University in Cologne, and she focuses on sports for development. In terms of her early years, Tamara was a competitive swimmer and also played basketball for Sariat Ramallah and made it into the Palestinian national team. 
representing them at the West Asia Tournament and Arab Schools Tournament. Tamara, finally, thank you so much for yeah, joining me on the show. Thank you so much, John. So I, I just want to begin maybe by, by finding out a little bit more about your sporting and, and professional background, even though I, I know a little bit from, from sort of Google searches and stuff, but could you tell us maybe a bit? <laughs> yes, definitely. Thank you. Um, well, I come from an athletic family, so I guess that was a, a good thing for, for an early start for myself. Um, growing up in Palestine, uh, I, I grabbed every single opportunity there was uh, for me to be able to take part in sports. Um, so I joined the swimming team um, in Ramallah and I was able to also make it to the national team um, of Palestine, although we weren't able to take part in much uh, competitions due to the political and economic situation in Palestine. Um, but I did, uh, for instance, cross Tiberius Lake uh, six times in one of the competitions, which was six kilometers every time. So that was a big thing uh, in Palestine. Um, another thing is that I joined the basketball team and that was also my biggest passion um, because it goes with me till now. Um, so I started off uh, in, in Palestine and when I went to university in Jordan, I also continued playing there with different clubs and also making it to the Jordanian uh, national team, representing uh, Jordan in different Arab uh, tournaments. Um, I also was coaching little ones at the same time, taking the, the coaching pathway. Um, and then I moved to Germany for, for work. And there I also managed to find a basketball team to play in parallel to my work um, as an IT consultant. Um, so I played for one season in Germany. Uh, and then when I went back to Palestine, I um, continued playing for a bit, but then I just took on the coaching uh, pathway um, and for the younger ones. So for the under 14 boys and young girls, and I managed to make it uh, to the FIBA World Cup. There was a, in 2010, a Children of the World camp that was parallel to the FIBA World Cup in 2010 in Turkey, uh, where there was um, coaches from 120 countries representing different countries um, uh, with two, co like two kids representing each country as well. So I had two kids from Palestine under 14 um, representing Palestine in this camp. It was, this was an amazing experience. But I went, when I went back, uh, I said, okay, this is something that I need to work more on and develop uh, in terms of um, doing something for basketball in Palestine. And that's where I also managed to find um, a program from FIBA and sports management that, I was, that was online that I did. And I was very successful in it that I was offered uh, a scholarship to continue sports management uh, for one year in Royal Holloway in, in London, which I did through FIBA. Um, and when I went back, that was again the start for me to start something um, and where we thought of Palestine Sports for Life because there was a big need um, in terms of sports for everyone, that it is not targeted for only the ones that are able to go to clubs, but rather that we can do something for the whole country. Absolutely. It's, I mean, I think starting from your, from your sporting background, it's very diverse. Um, and it's very impressive, of course, your CV as well. And it's an interesting pathway that you took. But maybe just for listeners, um, what role does sport play in, in, the, in Palestinian society more generally? Because I know that in, in the Arab world, particularly these days, um, when you think about sport, you think about the Gulf countries, right? The sort of nation building, the host mega events. But in Palestine, how much, how, what, what, what kind of role does sport play? Well, in Palestine, uh, sports is like a breather for everyone. Yeah. It's uh, something that you look forward to every single day that you live for because in terms of opportunities, there's really minimum. The, the whole political, economical situation, uh, social context in Palestine is really difficult. So if you don't have this kind of bubble that you can go and seek to, uh, to have something that you can have some positive energy to meet people, to network, to just talk about something else, to just play ball, you know, it's, something a whole different uh, level of living yeah. so for us it's mostly about just having the space where you can move freely 
uh, although going to that uh, part where you can play is not always uh, a really easy movement but mm -hmm. at, at least you can go and play and when you are in the court or in the field then there at least you feel free and you uh, can yeah. play and have, have, have fun with what you are doing that's that's it sounds like an an escape almost from um from sort of the daily daily struggles but but you made exactly. a really good point there you said how um it's not easy to to get to those whether it's the, the the basketball courts or you know the sporting arena let's say right and and that that obviously is linked into the socio-political situation and i think most people have have heard about the um, the palestinian and israeli situation in in the middle east but obviously you're now there in ramallah and you grew up there what is the the current situation oh the current situation is uh, as always since many years it's very difficult it's going even more difficult by the day the land is really getting uh, smaller and smaller because it's being taken it's under occupation uh, we don't move freely from from city to city there are like even inside the west bank which is usually uh, sometimes uh, not thought of that they think okay west bank is under the palestinian authority it's just controlled by the palestinian authority which is not the case um, there are many settlements that are illegal actually from the international court but they are there still everywhere within the Palestinian cities. And even from moving from one district to the other, there are always checkpoints and they can just in two minutes close off every old West Bank. You cannot move from mid to north nor mid to south in two minutes because they have exactly main checkpoints at the entrance of every single district. So uh, this is you know, for the ones that need to be moving from one part to the other. It's, it's really difficult going through these checkpoints every single day. And for us, even when we want to plan an event uh, um, in a different city, because we are working across West Bank, we're working in East Jerusalem, we're working in Gaza, we're working everywhere. And basically when we plan an event, we have to really think of a plan, not A and B only, but as a plan Z actually also to make sure that the plan goes and the event goes as planned because you never know what's going to happen uh, on those checkpoints uh, if roads are going to be closed or anything so uh, these are things that we have to really take into consideration mm. yeah and i think to say that the the circumstance on the ground in palestine is not conducive to to run an ngo is is the biggest understatement of you know this year probably um but but how, how then and why even did you decide to then start the NGO that you, that you did, Palestine Sports for Life, uh, um, amid these, let's let's call them difficult circumstances. Yes, uh, well, there is a need because in end effect, if um, like if we look at the community, you want to grow the community, you want to develop them, you want them to know everything that is going on, uh, and not just the political uh, economic situation that is going on. These mm. are children, they have the right to play, they have the right to move, they have to, the, the right also to understand. Also the youth, they, they also have the right not to just be involved in a difficult situation, but rather that we kind of attract them to sports and keep them in sports away from trouble. So um, this is these are things that we want to create these safe spaces uh, for those kids instead of just playing on the street or also not uh, having a safe space because you never know actually what's going to happen um, uh, there in that village or in that refugee camp if there is going to be an invasion where with the ministry of education we were able to take um, the uh, schools after school so um, pick up the trainers that we have trained in different villages where we can open up those schools in that village after school for that trainer that was trained from us in the approach of sports for development to offer the the uh, the space and the um, uh, the community classes that we are focusing on so sports and life skills development in a safe space so these kids can come and play in a safe environment they're learning something they're developing their life skills on a long run they're learning about different themes in terms of health in terms of gender in terms of rights in terms of education so these are things that we are also focusing on in these different community programs so by then we are reaching really um, thousands of youth uh, and children every year um, and this is the aim of the uh, or that was the idea or the founding 
um, idea behind it, just to really create a safe space, also the opportunity for children and the right to play. It is clear from, from what you said that the main target group, therefore, of this NGO is the Palestinian youth. Um, and and the objectives, obviously, you mentioned quite a few there. And even just going through with the website, there, you know, there's there's things like curriculum development, um, sports for inclusion, for employment, gender equality. These are all like really big themes, of course, um, and very diverse as well. Um, what are some of maybe the, the challenges of having such um, diverse objectives? Yes, um, the thing is that every single community or every single part of Palestine has uh, um, a certain issue mm. um, or a certain social issue that um, they are struggling with or some some of them that are really main for whole Palestine. So for instance, if we're talking about youth, uh, unemployment, uh, um, so uh, this this is a main issue in Palestine, specifically that the, the outcomes of the universities or in schools and also the political socioeconomic uh, situation here does not support employment or easy employment uh, for youth, even youth graduates. We have a 55% of youth uh, graduates unemployment yeah. so that they finish university, they come out, they cannot find a certain um, employment opportunity or they have to find something different than that they what they studied or they have to go into the um, labor market as workers and the black markets even sometimes okay. because the economic situation is so difficult that they have to work in anything basically so in terms of education in terms of unemployment this is the main topic um, that we are addressing and also uh, designing it along for each community differently or the specifics that it needs but also the than aligning it to the um, sustainable development goals. So we have the big picture of the of the goals and we are also then adapting it to each uh, uh, society. So for instance, with quality education, we are in a pathway. Specifically in Palestine, there is a high need for uh, professions and vocational professions. And we're trying to let the, the students know through sports uh, we're holding different um, day events and also through different uh, summer and winter camps and, um, and a whole year program where we just let them know about themselves, their strength, their weaknesses uh, for them to develop or and to see their tendencies and what kind of educational direction they would like to go and build on that and let them know and be aware of what kind of opportunities there are around them in terms of going to a TVET school or to a TVET center or into academic, but what is really needed in the in the labor market or the trends that are going now um, on in the market in terms of IT or specifically in IT, there's lots of outsourcing that is going on because there are no limits in IT. So these are things that we are just raising their awareness in terms of gender equality, um, we are raising the awareness for young girls that they have the right to go on and move on with their education and work, but not only working with young girls, but we're also working with young boys for them to, to learn more about um, young girls' opportunities and rights and just not to stick to, to um, the usual trends in terms of stopping girls um, to move on with their lives in education and work, but rather to be supporters um, uh, in providing opportunities for the young girls. Um, and these are some of the objectives and we usually design it basically on the needs of the communities that we are working with and taking their ideas as well or like their needs into into consideration when putting any design of the program. Mm, yeah, I think that's absolutely that, that, that's obviously wonderful work that you do and you talk about, for example, an issue like um, youth unemployment and you also mentioned gender equality, of course, and these are all hugely significant issues that need obviously um, to be looked at, to be tackled, to be focused upon. But why did you think that sport is the tool that, that can be used to tackle these things? Because I guess some people might say, oh, if the youth have no jobs, wouldn't it be better if put them through a specific maybe vocational training? What, what would you say to, to that then? Yes, um, well, you, everyone knows youth, everyone knows children, um, and in terms of youth, when you want to talk to them, mm. um, they get really 
like if they are not sensitive listeners and they cannot go through a whole presentation hmm. or come on, let me show you what it is going to TVET and, and so on. Yeah. They would just, you know, it won't attract them that much uh, when you want to tell them, come on, let me show you a TVET center. Uh, and what kind of opportunities there that like, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I'll come there, I'll be there, and mostly they won't show up. Yeah. But if you tell them, come on, we have a football tournament, mm. and we have a football event, come on, uh, and it's going to be held in the Stevet Center, and we do it in rotations. So we have a station where they have to do lots of sportsing, uh, um, like with football, but is also related to employment, soft skills. So we're talking about perseverance. We're talking about um, planning. So all of these um, uh, uh, skills and exercises during that event are directly related to, uh, to the uh, education and employment. Um, and we link it because every single drill that we do has a certain objective in terms of theme and in terms of life skill. And we have a reflection cycle at the end of every single drill where we connect how it went. For instance, if it was about planning, we ask them if you, we, we would repeat this game again, would you plan it differently? What happened the first time? What happened the second time? Do you think, um, uh, or if did you do it without a plan? Were you successful? Weren't you successful? And then we take it next to the to the to the next level. Like, okay, where in life, um, where you did you go through a situation where you didn't plan, and then where you had the opportunity to plan again? Did you do it differently? How did it go? Let's say you want to now plan your educational uh, pathway, your intense grade. What do you think now? Should you be starting planning to go for a TVET school or an academic and in, in scientific stream or an IT stream? Which one? should you think about first and we just you know trigger them to think on what happened in the field to what could be happening in their life to what would be happening in the future and how they can plan it better these are things we just trigger them within the event and it's in stations so once they finish with this station for instance for the 20 minutes and they go another for another three sports ones mm -hmm. they go to a rotation where they get a hands-on visit inside the TVET school. So they see what it means um, if I want to be a carpenter, if I want to be in, into graphic design, if I want to be a chef, uh, they can see it directly hands on and they get to speak also to students who are registered in that school. So it's kind of a peer education or a peer learning uh, where they can discuss and, and think uh, of what comes next. And for them to uh, have a station where they learn about the market trends at the moment, and what is needed, actually, if they study this, that this is the career pathway after that. So through sports, we are triggering their thinking and developing their life skills in the long run. And also then attracting them to come to the event through sports. And this we do it also on a long run where we also check uh, their tendency tests, for instance, through Holland Code test. Um, it's a psychological uh, test where they learn more about their personalities and they, they have this background for them to base on, uh, on the different educational needs. But sports, for anyone, you give them a ball, they smile, they're having fun, it's something different and it attracts them uh, specifically for them to come. And yes, there are some who don't like sports, but once they are involved, because it's fun, it's not very competitive in terms of technicalities or you have to make the team or so. It's more that it is sports for all. And that's how it attracts even more. Mm, that, that's really interesting. I think, I think the point that you made there was that sport has this um, really accessible quality that can include, um, especially the youth of, of all different levels, different ages to different workshops that you put on and and that's that's essentially the idea behind sport for employment as you say so it's not actually a direct correlation between playing sports and getting employed it's more sports as a tool to almost let's say um lure them into perhaps different kinds of uh, trainings and programs yes definitely there's something which um perhaps i would like to ask you about and it's to do with sports for gender equality and having done a bit of research on on some of the work you did i came across this this documentary program called Salam Dunk, which you were in, and and there was a point where yes. um, you you had you had an, an American coach coaching, and um, there were two Palestinian girls. I just assumed they're Palestinian, but 
and they, and they came to him saying they oh they wanted to play in an only all female team rather than a mixed team. Now some might say that sport instead of being the tool for gender equality, it kind of highlights um, the gendered roles. What, what what do you say to that? Yes, it does. Um, and specifically in Palestine, there isn't much opportunity. Uh, firstly, uh, for young girls to go uh, and be on teams. Uh, mm. Now it's much better than before, but uh, it took some time. Since I did Salam Dunk, Salam Dunk was in 2008 or eight almost, or yeah. 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, I myself was coaching young boys. So for them, yeah. it was like, mm, who's that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> female coach coming to coach us. <laughs> but uh, um, I coached them for, for three years and till today I meet them and, you know, it's a whole different story for them. And they, you are changed, like I changed the mindset for them, although they have been growing up to that girls can't play, for instance, or something mm -hmm. like that. And this is something we took on um, to, to develop develop in, in sports for life where we have many female football coaches coaching young boys right. in different uh, uh, marginalized and deprived areas who grew up to to learn like as young boys that girls can play or they shouldn't be playing sports or anything like that at that age but no we're changing the mindset we are giving them uh, the opportunity for those young boys to be coached by female coaches who are excellent. Uh, um, and, and here we are changing the, the mindset for them who go back to their families and tell them, hey, we, I have a female uh, football coach and she's amazing. And then they talk to, the, to, to their friends in school. And here you kind of change this uh, trend. At the same sure. time, where we have uh, uh, different, uh, what we are trying to do as well, like under 11s, um, to have like a, a mixed mini basketball team or a mixed mini football team so that they have this opportunity. And also another thing that we are doing through Sports for Life is that if we have a girls team that is uh, under 16, and that we let them also kind of have this leadership role where they can coach the under 12s uh, um, boys football team and kind of build that up. And in uh, Salam Dunk, yes, we had this kind of sometimes opportunity. It depends really on the club. It depends really as well on the uh, on the place mm. uh, where we are uh, um, uh, playing or like in the city where this is considered okay uh, um, to have young girls or like just females playing basketball or playing anything else or football uh, and universities <laughs> even in that, you know, that that young girl has to be really super confident uh, to be able to to take the step and we have so many young uh, girls um, who have that and really have to prove very hard to the not only to the boys that she's playing against but also to to the community that I can also play I can uh, I can also compete uh, so it is uh, there, but it is really <laughs> considered very difficult in some areas, definitely. And talking about the, you talk about the, the local response um, in, in, in that way, I guess. And, and we know that like in, in international spheres, for example, um, I follow you on LinkedIn and, uh, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you, you nominated or the Sports for Life Palestine program was nominated for a Peace and Sport Initiative of the Year award, I believe. Um, so it's, it's gaining, yeah. obviously, international recognition. How is the, the sort of, you know, the local level response to the initiative um, and the NGO, NGO in general? Uh, well, it was difficult uh, at the start mm. uh, because not everyone is into uh, or understands the, the importance of having sports for development and using sports as a tool uh, to tackle different social issues and specifically talking about the sustainable development goals and actually working on ground with that. So at first it was really difficult to get everyone on board, but with all the events that we did, with all the programs that we have managed to design and then having the Ministry of Education on board, having UNRWA uh, on board and also having many international organizations that are working here 
partnering with us as we are the only local um, Palestinian NGO that is working in, in sports for development. Mm. That gave us really good uh, uh, start and reputation that the people started knowing more about us. And because we are really in the field all the time with everyone, with, with the whole communities, with across Palestine, and also usually offering community uh, free programs and also offering free trainings for the teachers and also mm. uh, like for youth trainers, giving those yeah. uh, them the opportunity to be coaches. So this also, of course, builds uh, um, the, the reputation and also the positive response towards the mission of the organization and everyone is on board with on like with it we are just like a huge family that is really growing by the day with having everyone on board and um, this is something that is really uh, this year has even grown more specifically with the situation COVID situation we had to really adapt and move online with many of the um, with the uh, situation here but also because there are many places where the IT infrastructure isn't so good in Palestine we had to use the um, uh, like resources that we had in those different refugee camps or in those different villages specifically because we have trained so many trainers across Palestine mm. that these trainers were really the source of positiveness in that era and in, in this period uh, to really support the children on a mental level. Um, so having those programs running in this period where we did not stop uh, and we tried to support as much as we as we uh, we are able to and coming up with different ideas. So this was really for us uh, a, a big recognition and a big step and uh, really feeling appreciated uh, by the community, but also by the international community to see that we are really uh, working on the ground with the communities. So uh, yeah, being nominated for the April 6th uh, initiative was a really big thing, not only for Palestine Sports for Life, but, but for Palestine, like we mm. had the whole community uh, working and voting for all of that, Absolutely. even if we did not uh, get it in the end effect, but uh, for us just being nominated, for such a big thing is, is a big, big thing for us. Absolutely. I can imagine the, the platform that it gives you and, and obviously the recognition um, for the great work that you're doing. But yeah, linking into what you said, because you talk about it being a challenging time and obviously worldwide, it is a challenging time with um, COVID-19. And, and that obviously, and I think the innovation that your NGO showed, you know, to move things online and to, to keep on doing the good work that you're doing is, is very, very impressive given the situation in Palestine, even without the COVID-19. Another thing which I think sometimes comes up, and because last week, for example, we spoke to, to Louis Moustakos, who I'm sure you know um, from, the, from the German Sports University, yeah. and he mentioned one of the, the challenges for a lot of NGOs, particularly um, the ones that go from global north to global south, is that they don't get the local buy-in because they don't understand the, the, the sort of the, the socioeconomic situation. Um, they have conflicting agendas. And I guess for you, because you are a local NGO and you have that buy-in, as you said, from, from the, the local ministry and the government, is that, is that the key, would you say, that you being a local NGO, you are able to perhaps do things that, let's say, a foreign NGO coming to Palestine would not be able to do just because of the understanding of the situation? Yes, because like we are local and we understand the context and we know what works and what doesn't work mm. and what would cross the line with the community and what wouldn't. I think this is this really does give us an advantage even in the different communities as i mentioned every single community has a different background but what we do is usually we train something someone from that community to be able to really into the understanding of the context from the persons and the trust of those communities to to uh, um, support such a, a program or such an initiative and definitely this gives us an advantage to really knowing what is going on in Palestine and what is the context and everything that definitely gives us a, a, an advantage. Mm, sure. Maybe now looking towards the future and the future for not just for your NGO, um, but also perhaps the future of Palestine and, and sport for development programs in Palestine. Can you can tell us a bit about yeah your outlook? Yes. Uh, well, we are planning definitely like in Palestine as a, as a context, I try to always be very positive and I hope things... Uh, just get better by time and there are some prospects that uh, like on a political level that things might be going a bit more positively mm. um, 
but yeah, this is just like a little light at the end of the tunnel in terms of politics. <laughs> but uh, like in terms of us as, as an NGO and as people, and what we are always, like we are always looking for uh, life, basically. We're always happy and we're always positive to like to make something for the community. So for us, we are always um, developing the programs and having to be able to support the community more to be able to do more networking, to have more international um, experiences and also like putting the, the uh, locals to an international level, but also having these uh, opportunities where we can have an exchange of culture, exchange of experience uh, within Palestine, because it's always that Palestinians are going out uh, to, right, yeah. to gain international experience, uh, but we would also love for internationals to come to Palestine to understand mm -hmm. the context, to also to be able to apply what they have been learning to a Palestinian. It's a whole different setting. It's a whole different story. And uh, it would be yeah, a great opportunity to, to have this exchange uh, on ground in Palestine. So we have different programs coming up in 2021 where we will have these uh, um, opportunities to have these exchanges. And um, just as much as we can, um, these are our plans on our, our, for the future to expand uh, even more, not in Palestine only, but also to expand in the Arab region our experiences in sports for development to really make sports for development uh, a base uh, for every single country, but also in Palestine to make it part of the policies in the school system to have sports not only as a, a PE session that uh, once a week kids can do it, but also to have it more on a, on a sports for development um, approach. Uh, so these are like when we are working on curriculum development uh, with the different international organizations that we try to integrate it into the educational system. Uh, so getting the teachers on board, but also getting the curriculum integrated into the system. These are things that we are working for um, in the future, like in, in the coming few years, where we can develop more the, the curriculums, develop the system, change the policies in terms of the outlook for sports, but also change uh, um, that is, of course, done on the long run. The, there is a huge need in the labor market for sports and different uh, uh, programs. Uh, so, for instance, in esports or in management, that the education for that is really, really minimal. So for, for the output of the universities to match the labor market need, we really need to work on the different um, educational programs that are offered to be able to have that kind of match for the youth um, in terms of education and also then the change of policies. These are things that, of course, we were planning and we're working on on the long run. Yeah, I, I feel like despite despite the, the really tough year that obviously everyone's had, and especially in Palestine, um, I think it's been a really encouraging year. I feel for your for your NGO and and the, the recognition it's gained, the, the projects that have continued on despite the challenges. And and next year, from what you say, looks really exciting. And I can only encourage yeah, our listeners to, to keep sort of following up and checking up on um, on the updates because I think you only grow bigger and better and um, hopefully continue to have as big an impact as, as you have had so far on the local community. Thank you. Much appreciated. Yes, that's our aim. <laughs> and perhaps just to finish off, because we like to always finish off on a, on a lighter note. So a, a personal question here, um, because obviously we're all big sport fans here. And, and um, I was just wondering, growing up in Palestine, who was your sporting hero? Well, uh, in basketball, I was always looking up to Michael Jordan, of course. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, him and uh, Tamika catching from the WNBA, I was always also looking up to her. So these two growing up in, in basketball, you were just, you know, uh, I believe I can fly, as one can say. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. In terms of Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but on a local yeah. level, of course, my family, my mom mm. was always my my backbone in in sports growing up. She was always there for me. My parents, both of them, uh, like they were the main supporters for me to to go on with my sporting, uh, playing on a professional level, but also just going in the pathway of sports, even though there are several challenges on a local level and also being a female. 
So yes, they are my backbone. Continuing with my husband, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 amazing to hear. That's great to hear. Um, Tamara, th- thanks again for your time today. And yeah, we wish you all the best for, of course, peace in Palestine and for the, the greatest developments for the Sport for Life program that you have over there. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for you, John, and for your podcast, Sporting Threat. That was an amazing opportunity to share our stories. Uh, thank you so much. So that was our interview with Tamara Awarkani from Palestine Sport for Life. And as you probably heard, I wasn't able to participate in this interview. So John did this all by himself. But I have listened back to the interview. I've taken uh, some notes about it. And I thought it was a really good interview done by you, John. And first of all, like, how did it feel to conduct an interview all by yourself this time? Yeah, I think it was um, it was strange because I've done obviously an interview with or I've done all the interviews with you. Apart from one, which I did with Song, obviously the agents one. In a weird way, it felt a a bit more casual, I guess. Um, Especially because we haven't got to coordinate too much, you know what I mean? Because I'm basically just flowing off my own pace and and rhythm. So I enjoyed it. I hope hope Tamara did. Um, But yeah, I thought today's episode linked in so well to last week's, or the the stuff that we talked about last week with, with Louis, which was more of a critique on sport for development than anything else. We, we looked at, obviously, the, the embedded values um, and, and practices of sport for development, the fact that it was often carried out, or it is often carried out by global North actors in the global South. But today's episode was a case study of how sport for development can look like in the most ideal sense I would I, I would I would even argue because we've got a local actor in Tamara's Sport for Life NGO very passionate people behind this endeavor and perhaps most importantly people who understand the culture the issues and are able I guess to achieve the buy-in from the local community and that's what we talked about a lot with Tamara and I think I could sense that this was the single most important element yeah. It's kind of like, as I said, it kind of contextualized what Leo was talking about of why we should be more local, focus more on our local community and be a lo- be more about a local NGO. And this is what uh, Tamara and her uh, NGO is doing, at focusing on their local community in Palestine. They're all like local people working for this uh, NGO and the people feel a lot more trust in their NGO and they understand the issues as well, what works and what doesn't work and what needs to be done and what they can do and can't do and how to reach these people, as she said. And, and I also realized that, or like I, or when I was listening to it, I was thinking about how sports can be used in such a good way to reach people that would not have been gotten, would have not gotten the help otherwise. No, absolutely right. I think this is one of the questions that I put to Tamara. Um, I asked, I asked her repeatedly actually about, this kind of, you know, principle that, you know, sport can be used for nurturing different sort of values and principles and somehow can be used, you know, to increase youth employment, to, to foster gender equality, things like that. And I, and I think she had very, very good answers for all of them. Um, and I think the biggest thing about sport, particularly in Palestine, was the, is the fact that it is highly accessible um, and easily communicated to the youth. Um, and I think another point which I thought was quite interesting was the diversity of, of the programs that she runs. I think if you, if you just look at their webpage, and it's again something which I ask her about, they've got, they've got so many different themes and objectives. For instance, as, as I mentioned just now, um, youth unemployment, gender equality, mm. inclusion, cultural exchange. So, so quite a few, quite a number of objectives and aims. And I was yeah. skeptical at first to, to see how this could actually work, you know, for such a small NGO. But I yeah. think, you know, she, she explained it pretty well. The, the different mechanisms, exactly. the different courses on offer that obviously catered to the needs of, of the community at large. And also it seems like everything, every program and everything they're doing, it's with a purpose and they know the reason why they're doing it. And they know also like, why is this going to work and why is this going to help? So they're not like taking something out of the blue. They're not like guessing, okay, this sounds good. So we're going to try this. It seems like it's based on 
more knowledge that okay these are actually like tested programs that have been done before and we can just like change a little bit into our context but it will help uh, by the in the end yeah it, it sounds silly to say this but the programs at palestine's port for life seem well tailored and suited to the needs of the community it doesn't happen often i mean you get a lot of ngos that that appear like i guess they're doing noble work wherever they're doing it at but often in terms of the outputs there's not much to be to be seen i think um yeah. i think in tamara's case you know there, there, there is a methodology behind there and there is as i mentioned programs for specific objectives and not this one size fits all kind of um policy or principle that we see often in in ngos yeah and, and one thing maybe go away a little bit to another thing but also when i listen to it you just can hear how sport is such a global language and such a global thing and phenomenon that it's exists in almost every society and also what i was thinking about like she growing up in palestine as a woman and looking up to michael jordan playing basketball in the u.s I don't know if this is just sentimental, but I feel like it's it's a beautiful thing that's like Michael Jordan playing basketball in the U.S. and he can inspire people from like all around the world, even even a girl growing up in Palestine. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a bit of a cliche thing to say, but it's true that sport transcends cultures, countries, and, and national barriers. You know, and, and obviously appeals to a lot of people and inspires a lot of young people. And just a point I should talk about Palestine as a country. I think the sort of work that Tamara is doing is even more impressive and inspirational because of the circumstances of her country at the moment, right? Um, and it's been well publicized and well covered, obviously, in, in, in your news sources. But things are not getting any easier in Palestine. I think it's, it's such, it's, it's, I wouldn't say a lesson for other NGOs, but it's such a good model because it's, they've done so much with so little. You know what yeah. I mean? And often people think that NGO work is a bit of a waste of money because, you know, you're, you're taking all this, you're taking this bunch of money that perhaps can be used for other things like, I don't know, building different infrastructures, you know, education, whatever it is. This NGO by itself, I think, breaks down all, breaks down all those arguments because you don't really need yeah. that, you know, obviously huge, crazy amounts of money. And like foreign experts, you know, we've been to like the German sport university <laughs> to do, you know, to, to make a success of, a, of, of an NGO. Um, even right. though Tamara is obviously an alumni of the German Sports University, but I think you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on that point, and I don't think I have more to add to it. I feel like you eloquently said it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but in any case, um, to whoever's listening to this episode, probably already in 2021, um, on behalf of myself and our small team at the Sporting Spirit, yeah, we'd like to wish you a happy New Year. A healthy new year, a prosperous new year, and most importantly, a sport-filled new year. Um, hopefully, we get back to normality. Hopefully, we get back to be able to go to stadiums and, and swimming pools and you know football pitches without having to fear for our safety. To wrap up the last episode of 2020, as always, peace and love. Peace and love.